Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, they are exhausted, traumatized, and long past the point of burnout. America's critical care nurses sound off on their frontline experiences of the past year and how it could impact the healthcare system long after the pandemic is over. Also this morning, a new poll finds one in seven Americans has lost a friend or become estranged from a family member because of arguments over the COVID-19 vaccine. Is it really worth all that? And in today's Throwback Thursday, the learning disability no one talks about. Where do more than one million kids do their homework when they have nowhere to call home? This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, September 16, 2021. Today is Mayflower Day, marking the date in which the pilgrims set sail from England uh, on their way to America. Mayflower, on board the Mayflower. Mayflower Day. Also, it is Mexican Independence Day. So, happy birthday to, happy Independence Day to our neighbors to the south. National Guacamole Day today. wonder if those two things are related somehow. Maybe. National Cinnamon Raisin Bread Day, National Collect Rocks Day, National Stay Away from Seattle Day. <laughs> what do these people have against Seattle? It's a beautiful city. It's a beautiful city, but it is National Stay Away from Seattle Day, National Tattoo Story Day. There's a story behind every tattoo. So today is the day to share yours. I guess I don't have a tattoo, so I have no story to to tell. And it is uh, National Collect Rocks Day. Did I mention that? National Collect Rocks Day. And it is uh, National Play-Doh Day. National Play-Doh Day to you. Which uh, reminds me, I uh, saw this, um, speaking of uh, Play-Doh, some uh, legendary games and toys are uh, looking to play their way into immortality. Twelve finalists were announced yesterday for the National Toy Hall of Fame. There is a National Toy Hall of Fame in Rochester, New York. And uh, this year's list of nominated toys uh, includes American Girl Dolls, Battleship, Billiards, Cabbage Patch Kids, and the Fisher-Price Corn Popper. You know, the little thing that you had as a, as a kid? Every kid had one of these. Uh, you rolled along the floor, and it popped the, the little balls inside the the thing, popped like corn. Uh, also uh, up for, the, for induction into the National Toy Hall of Fame, Mahjong, Masters of the Universe, the Pinata, the game, <clears throat> the board game Risk, uh, the... The Settlers of Catan. Hmm. I that one I'm not familiar with. Must be <clears throat> excuse me, must be a more modern game. The Toy Fire Engine and Sand. <laughs> and I know that just sounds sort of random sand. Would you consider that a, a, a toy? But uh who as a child did not play in the sand and make sand castles and, and all of that? So I can see that being a shoe-in. The inductees, the ones that are chosen from those finalists who be announced in November, uh, the uh, Toy Hall of Fame, the National Toy Hall of Fame, 
has 74 toys and another but half a dozen or so will be added to that collection from that list. So we actually made that our question of the day this morning. You go to our Facebook page. What was your favorite toy as a kid? That's what we want to know. Is uh, When you were a child, what was your favorite toy to play with? And uh, I there are a number of those on that list that I think are probably shoe-ins. Cabbage Patch Kids. How could you not put Cabbage Patch Kids in the Hall of Fame or call that a Hall of Fame? The uh, Corn Popper, the Fisher-Price Corn Popper, every kid had one of those when you were just learning to walk. And um, and Sand, I think those are the ones that I would probably say are, are shoe-ins. But uh, anyway, want to uh, know what is is or was your favorite toy as a kid. Barbie is one of those iconic toys in america and uh barbie the the makers uh, are out with uh, two new dolls to celebrate hispanic heritage month this month uh one is celia cruz a cuban-american singer known as the queen of salsa she recorded more than 80 albums and won five grammys so she has been honored with her own barbie doll and the other is Julia Alvarez, Dominican-American poet and acclaimed writer. Uh, she reacted to the news on Instagram saying she hopes this can encourage young Latinas to share their gifts with the world. The uh, dolls are part of Barbie's role model collection. So, kind of cool. And uh, speaking of lists, it's a big day for lists. Time Magazine is out with its list. Of the 100 most influential people of 2021. And this is kind of interesting. Among those on the list, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, Britney Spears, she has certainly been in the news of late. I don't know whether I would call her influential necessarily, but... She met the criteria for Time Magazine, the 100 most influential people of 2021. I suppose she's influenced the news headlines about her conservatorship and everything else. Uh, Russian opposition figure Alexei Navalny is on the list. So it's not just pop culture uh, icons. We haven't gone that far overboard with our pop culture. We still have some significant newsmaking individuals. Uh, they have a, a whole section of their list called Pioneers. Pop star Billie Eilish and famed civil rights attorney Ben Crump uh, are on that list. The names listed as Titans include decorated Olympian Simone Biles, Apple CEO Tim Cook, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, former Patriots quarterback Tom Brady, and Shonda Rhimes. Uh, political leaders on the list of most influential people of 2021. President Biden, no big surprise. Uh, that's kind of a given. Uh, China's Xi Jinping and Wyoming Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney on the list. The 100 most influential people of 2021, according to Time magazine. Again, agree or disagree, you can discuss amongst yourselves. It's certainly one of the uh, most uh, interesting or buzzworthy uh, stories to uh, start the day. Here's another reason to eat your vegetables. 
Researchers surveyed nearly 600,000 Americans and found those with the most plant-rich diets had a 9% lower risk for developing COVID-19 than those with the least healthy diets. Of those 600,000, they found 25% uh, that had the best, the most plant-rich diets. They took another 25% with the least healthy diets and compared the two. Those with the most plant-rich diets had a 9% lower risk for developing COVID-19. Dr. Aaron Glatt, an infectious disease specialist, says this does not change anything. You still need to get vaccinated. But the lead researcher of the study, Jordi Moreno, uh, says uh, no one should consider diet a replacement for vaccination or other mitigation measures. Instead, the findings suggest that poor diet quality may be one of many social and economic contributors to the risk of COVID-19. So, another reason to eat your veggies. Speaking of uh, COVID-19, the pandemic apparently no joke for women in New York City. Researchers at NYU polled 1,179 mothers and found that one-third had been thinking about having another child before the pandemic, but had not yet begun trying, saying they were no longer considering it. So the pandemic is actually made women in New York City, anyway, reconsider whether now is a good time to bring a little one into the world. The lead author of this study, epidemiologist Dr. Linda Kahn, says findings show that the initial COVID-19 outbreak appears to have made women think twice about expanding their families and in some cases reduce the number of children they ultimately intend to have. She also adds that pregnancy becomes riskier and more difficult to achieve as women age, so the delays prompted by the pandemic may lead to increased risks for both mother and child when those women do decide to grow their family, uh, as well as could uh, lead to the need for costly fertility treatments for some. The data also shows that fewer than half of mothers who had stopped trying to become pregnant were certain that they would resume trying once the pandemic ended. So, fewer than half. Uh, Dr. Melanie Jacobson says about the study, these results emphasize the toll the coronavirus has taken not on individual, uh, not only on individual parents, but perhaps on fertility rates overall. It's another uh, interesting way that the uh, pandemic has impacted uh, all of us and continues to impact far more than you know just the direct impact on society. Very interesting. And how about this? Uh, talk about the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. This is certainly buzzworthy. The first all-amateur space flight was launched last night by SpaceX from the Kennedy Space Center. Four people on board this uh, spaceship, none of them professional astronauts. Now, I don't know... <laughs> I don't know if I would feel entirely comfortable on that flight. I would think that you would want at least one professional astronaut. <laughs> you know, I would think that you would want at least one. Uh, two men, two women. Um, flight leader is billionaire Jared Isaacman, a physician assistant at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Tennessee, and two contest winners. 
Chris Sembroski, and Sian Proctor. Isaacman is uh, paying for the entire flight. They are set to orbit the Earth for three days in the fully automated Dragon capsule at a high orbit of 357 miles above the planet before splashing down off the Florida coast. So, I, you know, this is just bizarre to me. I mean, you think about it. How many of us would be comfortable uh, hopping into a driverless car? You know, a fully autonomous vehicle. Those are not on the roads yet. And yet we have a fully autonomous space vehicle and, and four total amateurs orbiting the Earth now. That's, that's just amazing to me. The, uh, the quartet of wannabe astronauts did undergo six months of training. But other than that, they are not... <laughs> They are not professionals. Uh, by the way, it says here uh, SpaceX's uh, next private fl- uh, flight will take place early next year. And that one will have a retired NASA astronaut leading three uh, other wealthy businessmen to the space station for a week. So at least that one will have a, a retired pro. But uh, And Russia will launch an actress, a film director, and a Japanese business tycoon to the space station in the next few months as well. So... I don't know, man, this whole thing of uh, space tourism and, you know, the space becoming the playground of the rich. I'm just not convinced, but it's bizarre to me, the idea that we're going to launch four complete uh, amateurs into space. And it's okay because the spacecraft is automated. We wouldn't even put automated cars on the streets. (laughs) We're sending automated space capsules to space with complete amateurs. Wow, what a time we live in. There you go, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast. Sunny skies today with a high of 81. Skies will be mostly clear tonight, a low of 60. The United Way of Hancock County is launching its annual campaign with a virtual regional singing competition. CEO Angela Dabosky says it wasn't easy choosing the 16 finalists. We have a lot of talent in the 419. There were more than 50 submissions that our six judges uh, reviewed, and we they were able to wheedle it down to about 16 this week. And then we'll close the voting this week on Sunday evening and reveal them on Wednesday. She says money raised through the 419 Sings competition will benefit the United Way of Hancock County, its partner agencies, and the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. Get more on the competition and see the artists involved on our website. For the second time in less than a month, the high school football team in Northwest Ohio is mourning the loss of one of their coaches. The assistant coach for the Lakota Raiders, Adam Good, passed away this week. Good had previously coached at various levels at Danbury and Clyde High Schools in Northern Ohio. It's been a heartbreaking few weeks for the Lakota community. On August 27th, an accident took the life of Lakota's defensive coordinator, John Otney. Lakota schools are in Kansas, Ohio, about 35 miles southeast of Toledo. Dave James, I went in news. The former executive director of the Ohio High School Athletic Association is suing the organization for breach of contract. Jerry Snodgrass filed a lawsuit in Franklin County Common Pleas Court. Snodgrass was fired in July of 2020. The OHSAA says it will not comment on pending litigation. Snodgrass joined the OHSAA after a 31-year career in education as a teacher, coach, and administrator. Most of those years were in Findlay. 
StubHub will be issuing refunds to thousands of Ohio customers for missed shows after Attorney General Dave Yost filed a complaint alleging the company violated its own refund policy. More than 12,000 people who bought tickets for Ohio events were affected when events were suspended at the beginning of the pandemic. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, from the beginning of the pandemic, healthcare workers, doctors, and especially critical care nurses have been the frontline heroes. But today, they themselves are in a state of crisis, exhausted, traumatized, long past the point of burnout. Two-thirds of critical care nurses have considered leaving the profession, and more than half feel they can no longer effectively care for their patients. Amanda Betancourt is president-elect of the American Association of Critical Care Nurses, and those numbers come from a survey the AACN recently conducted. Uh, And Amanda, the stories are are just heartbreaking. Yes, they are. And, you know, uh, we did. We surveyed over 6,000 of our members and found these very alarming trends uh, around nurses wanting to leave the profession. And, you know, the overall sense from our membership and from each other is that this pandemic has depleted us emotionally, physically, um, and we were already kind of working in a healthcare system that was very stressed. And so we think, uh, myself and our colleagues, we're, we're at our breaking point, and we're concerned because nurses are crucial to healthcare in the United States, especially hospitalized patient healthcare. And if there are not enough nurses, we're going to lo- lose lives now and long after the pandemic is over. So we're, we're here to kind of raise awareness about how nurses are feeling these days, especially critical care nurses that have been taking care of some of the sickest patients, because we're concerned for the future of the healthcare system if these trends continue. You bring up a, a couple of very important points that this is something that goes far beyond the pandemic itself. This will have reverberating effects long after this is over. And even in the here and now, it is not just COVID patients, because you point out that when emergency rooms and intensive care units are are flooded with COVID patients, that impacts uh, other patients outside of the realm of COVID and really impacts all of us. It does. Yeah. I mean, I'm a pediatric critical care nurse. And so, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter which type of care you need, whether that's for your child, for yourself, for your loved one. Um, it, it, it's harder to access that care when we don't have clinicians able to take care of patients. And so, yeah, it does. It affects everything. And it takes a long time to uh, train a critical care nurse. So as these highly skilled and talented individuals leave the profession, it's not a quick replacement. It will take a long time for them, for us to, uh, you know, have new nurses with those same skills able to step into their place. So it absolutely could create a very big problem down the line for and, all types of patients, even after COVID is over. Yeah. And, and in fact, we have uh, heard stories in the news just this week of the uh, impact uh, on patients, uh, not just those with COVID, but other healthcare issues as well and how this trickles down. Uh, so how do you make sure that those voices are heard? I'm sure that the underlying feeling for many critical care nurses is that they are going through this alone, that they are suffering in silence. Yeah, I mean, and that's part of the reason that we're here is we want to share our stories. This is the first time the critical care nurses of America have felt the need to be you know, direct with the public about what we're seeing and the fact that we need help. 
Um, you know, we can't end the pandemic by ourselves. And so, you know, we absolutely uh, want the public to hear our stories, to directly hear from nurses who are, you know, voted the most trusted uh, professionals in the country for the last 19 years. We want the public to trust us that we're telling the truth. And so we've got a new website called hearusout.com where we have many of our nurse members directly sharing their stories about taking care of patients with COVID, what it's meant for them, just so that we can get our voices out there directly to people who will be affected by the fact that we may not have enough critical care nurses going forward to take care of you when you're sick. And then even if you're not concerned about nurses, if you're concerned about yourself and making sure that you actually have the care that you need when an unexpected health emergency arises, we urge you to go to our website, hearusout.com, and get trusted information about things like wearing a mask indoors, keeping your physical distance, getting vaccinated, and then some resources to help you get others in your circle vaccinated um, to help us end this pandemic. You bring up uh, earlier an, an important point that I want to underscore. This uh, there was there were issues within the healthcare system even before the pandemic. Uh, there are other issues that are exacerbating the problem, but uh, the underlying issue right now uh, surrounding all of it is COVID. So, if there is one message for individuals with respect to the pandemic, what would that be? Yeah, I, our one message is, yes, of course, there have been long-standing shortages of nurses. Nurses have had to work in difficult environments with limited resources. That is not new. Um, also, we signed up for this. We enjoy taking care of sick patients. This gets us out of bed every day, and we take pride in what we do. What we're not able to do, and the reason this is different now, is because we're not able to give the care to all kinds of patients, COVID patients and other patients that we know patients deserve. And day after day, shift after shift, month after month, that becomes demoralizing enough for us to think that we can't do it anymore. And our healthcare system needs nurses. We're at our breaking point. So we really need the public's help to help, you know, get vaccinated, get your friends vaccinated, take public health measures that are recommended by the CDC and others so that we don't have this endless flow of patients that's undermining our ability to give the care to everybody in the hospital that we know they deserve. Obviously, the first and foremost, the, the message is if you have not been vaccinated, get vaccinated. Uh, it's been said time and time again. I know that the people are, are getting tired of hearing it at this point. Let me ask you this. For those of us who are vaccinated, how do we help support those in the nursing profession, these frontline heroes? Yeah, so, and thank you for that question. We're, we're looking for allies. And so each of us as nurses who have been vaccinated have had those conversations with those in our circle and those in our community that still have questions. And we know that people have questions. We also know it's hard to find trustworthy information sometimes. And so we have trustworthy information available for anybody who wants to partner with us to help people who've yet to be vaccinated choose to be vaccinated. Um, and so that's available on the website. And we really just hope that people will honor the nurses in their lives, um, but also think about their own health and the health of the people they care about and the fact that this situation is just not sustainable in our workforce and we can't afford to lose any more nurses. 
you can hear the desperation uh, here in, in these numbers, in these surveys from the stories of frontline uh, nurses. Uh, again, Amanda Betancourt is president-elect of the American Association of Critical Care Nurses. You mentioned the website where you've got more information, more of these stories. Where do we find it online? Let's mention that again. Yep, the website is hearusout.com, and that's where nurses will directly be sharing with you exactly our experience and what we need from you to help us. We'll put uh, put a link up on our webpage as well for folks to check out. Amanda, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, you know, the coronavirus pandemic and particularly the COVID-19 vaccine has been an incredibly divisive topic. And now it is even ending friendships, according to a new poll. This one poll survey found that one in seven people say that they have parted ways with a friend over disagreements about whether or not to get vaccinated. Dr. Carol Lieberman is a board-certified psychiatrist. And Dr. Lieberman, is that surprising to you at all that this has strained or broken so many relationships? Well, it's not surprising that it has broken relationships, but the number, uh, in fact, quite frankly, I think the number is probably higher than what this statistic has said because um, because it's really happening a lot increasingly uh, because as the as the uh, strains, you know, we're we're as we get more concerned about this seemingly endless. Uh, COVID pandemic, in other mm-hmm. words, with, uh, you know, the Delta strain and now the Lambda strain. You're right, and, right. And now the Mu strain. Um, so people are feeling as though, you know, will this ever end? And it has been portrayed in the media as the pandemic of the unvaccinated. So people direct their fear towards uh, the unvaccinated. They sure. blame the unvaccinated, similar to how, um, you know, there have been an increase in hate crimes against Asians, even though Asians living in America are not responsible for the coronavirus. Right. Well, see, now my first reaction when reading about this survey is that this is a sad state of affairs, what we have let all of this come to. And yet, uh, I have to admit that I have had heated discussions with friends and even family members about all of these COVID-19 issues myself. Why do you think that so many relationships have dissolved because of this? I mean, what pushes things over the edge from a disagreement to the point of actually ending a friendship? It really comes down to fear causing causing anger and then frustration about not being able to win the argument. In other words, um, whether someone has gotten the vaccine or hasn't gotten it, pretty people are pretty much set now um, in their ways in terms of whether or not they're going to get the vaccine. So when people who have been vaccinated can't change the mind of someone who hasn't been vaccinated, that they just really get angry and, and they take it as a personal, you want to kill me. You yeah. know, that is what it has gotten to. How could you be my friend if you want to kill me? So if a, a person is, and like I said, I've had these uh, disagreements with people in my social circle and, and even family members too, but I have never felt it necessary to take things to that extreme. So if a person is willing to cut all ties with someone they were once close to over their vaccine status, what does that reveal about their 
personality. And, and, and if we are the ones who are cutting others out of our lives or contemplating cutting others out of our lives because of all of this, what does that say about us? Well, I don't think it's just like with politics. You know, people have been even before the pandemic or concurrently, um, people have been cutting out their friends because of politics. As politics are getting more uh, virulent, more divisive, um, people have been cutting out their friends because of that, too. So if you're going to cut someone out of your life because of either their political um, choice or their choice whether to put something into their body, it, it, it says that you, it's very shallow. It says that you are very shallow or mm. very, that you are letting your fear um, and let, getting whipped up into a frenzy and not really appreciating. That's not why you became friends with this person. I mean, we all need to think about why did you become friends with this person in the first place? Right. And, and I, I guess that kind of touches on, you know, that there's always that question of if someone will no longer speak to you because of your position on the vaccine, were they ever, ever truly your friend to begin with? Right. You have to wonder whether, um, they were your friend for reasons other than, uh, because they really like you. And, you know, a friend is someone who will be there at three o'clock in the morning. If you call them up and say you have a flat tire, right. you know, 20 miles away. Right. Um, not whether you're going to get the vaccine or not. Yeah. But, you know, partly the pandemic is also responsible for us becoming estranged from friends to begin with, like whether or not nothing well, that's- to do aside from the vaccine or politics. Um, it's just, you know, because we've been locked down. It is a valid point that it is easier to uh, just cut someone out of your life if you ha- have, to this point, spent months uh, without any contact or with limited contact to begin with. So how do you avoid letting it get to that point? Is there a middle ground that you can find? Is there a way to agree to disagree on this issue and still remain friends? Well, you know, it all depends. With some people, yes. You can try to just not give uh, somebody asks you whether you're vaccinated or not, or whether if you're unvaccinated, you know, whether you like they ask you a month later. So have you gotten vaccinated yet? <laughs> I mean, that's what typically happens. And it's really been a, a from the beginning. Vaccination has been such a um, an intrusion into privacy to begin with. You're really asking very personal questions, which are very inappropriate. Are there ways of deflecting that question? By trying to remind the person, your friend, what it was about them that you really Mm. enjoyed, um, why you became friends with them in the first place, and maybe ask them to think about why they became friends. Of course, this is happening amongst family members, too. Right. It it falls a little short to say, why did you become my cousin? (laughs) (laughs) Sure, sure. Well, and that actually kind of speaks to the the other question that I wanted to ask. If we find ourselves in this kind of a situation, is there a way to repair a relationship that may have become strained or even estranged over the vaccine or the pandemic in general? Or is it best to wait until all of this is over before even trying? it's okay to make um, uh, attempts at contact like an email or a text or uh, sending a card, even like a regular card in the mail, you know, saying how you miss the friend. This same study that found one in seven people have dumped their friends over COVID also found that these people typically thought that their friends, if they didn't get the vaccine, 
were anti-vaxxers. In other words, they weren't, they didn't really want to hear or didn't really, you know, take seriously the reasons or didn't even ask or mm-hmm. let the person tell what the reasons are yeah. for them not getting vaccinated. And so, you know, they just put them in the category of um, extremist um, anti-vaxxers. And for the most part, that is not true. You know, people are not getting it because uh, for some people, they, you know, they don't feel it's been researched enough or um, they don't get vaccines altogether, like the flu vaccine, because they don't want to put things into their body, foreign substances. Or maybe they do have some kind of a condition where the vaccine that their doctor has told them that it's dangerous to get the vaccine yeah. or side effects, you know, cases of side effects, and that scares them. What I hear you saying is uh, it would be uh, best if we uh, try uh, a little uh, empathy and understanding all the way around. It goes a very long way. Again, Dr. Carol Lieberman is a board-certified psychiatrist uh, talking about the ways that COVID has impacted friendships and relationship with family members and ways to either avoid it or repair it. Dr. Lieberman, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Oklahoma police have apprehended a man who allegedly defecated in a grocery store freezer. Uh, A woman was uh, shopping, just going about her daily business, doing her weekly uh, grocery shopping at the unnamed store. When she reached into a freezer, uh, grabbed a frozen food bag, and noticed that uh, someone had uh, done, done their business right there in the freezer. She alerted store employees who checked surveillance video, which apparently showed the unidentified man uh, pooping in the freezer and taking photos of women in the store. Police. (laughs) This is just all kinds of weird. Police have not mentioned any motive for the subject's actions, which I thought was a, a really interesting thing to point out, because what motive could there possibly be? What? What in the world could you... Uh, what excuse could you come up with? What justification could you come up with in terms of a motive for something, doing something like that? I don't know. Anyway, we'll stay on top of this story. Elsewhere in today's broken news, what would you do if you thought you saw an alien for one man in Kentucky? The answer is simple. Shoot it (laughs) or shoot at it. Uh, Richmond police, Richmond, Kentucky, responded to reports of shots fired and learned that it came from a hotel window. Authorities found Samuel Riddell, age 55, inside of the room. And when questioned by detectives, he said he saw aliens in the parking lot and was shooting at them. Well, (laughs) there you go. It seems perfectly logical. I saw aliens in the parking lot. Um, Authorities were... Uh, Not impressed. No one was harmed, according to police. Uh, Mr. Riddell, who is a convicted felon, was found in possession of two handguns and a semi-automatic rifle. He was charged with four counts of wanton endangerment of a police officer, uh, two counts of criminal mischief, one count of possession of a handgun by a convicted felon, and one count of possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. He's in all kind of trouble. No word 
on uh, whether he got the aliens or... <laughs> there are some aliens out there. I just shot at him. Sometimes uh, people catch the most intriguing moments on camera. A woman who appears to be wearing a nun outfit was captured on video outside England's old Hull General Cemetery on Saturday, dancing with a plastic human skeleton and playing with a plastic skeletal dog. Witnesses claim someone was uh, filming the strange scene just before noon, suggesting it could be part of a stunt or an art project, but... Someone dressed as a nun playing uh, with a uh, a plastic dog skeleton and dancing with a plastic human skeleton in the cemetery while dressed as a nun. Yeah. Okay. Okay. By the way, speaking of the uh, UK, police in Great Britain have a weird warning. Do not let kids buy large quantities of baked beans. <laughs> I, I saw that on the newswire and I thought there's got to be something more to this story. Uh, because this is not something that you would think tip- typically kids would be buying in the store. Um, apparently there is a weird new trend. It took off on TikTok. There's another uh, internet trend called beaning. It involves smearing baked beans onto people's driveways, doors, cars. Filming the whole thing, posting it on social media. Numerous videos have been posted using the hashtag Bean Bandits. Police in West Yorkshire have officially warned retailers and parents to be on the lookout for kids buying or stealing several cans of beans, either from stores or even from their home pantry. <laughs> hey, where are you going with those beans? <clears throat> I would think that would raise some eyebrows. And if you have uh, teenagers at the store purchasing large quantities of baked beans, that would tend to raise some eyebrows. And how about this story in the uh, broken news? This is actually a a really happy story, uh, which is always fun when we can include something that is really happy and kind and nice in the broken news. A volunteer firefighter in Texas helping a man with Alzheimer's find his way back home to New Mexico. Uh, Hood County Sheriff Roger Deeds says the 80-year-old man left his home to go to the store on Tuesday and ended up 552 miles away in Granbury, Texas. A deputy stopped the man after he almost collided with his patrol car. And once word got out, a a volunteer firefighter with a Crescent volunteer fire department who happens to be a pilot volunteered to fly the man safely back to his hometown 500 miles away that is a wonderful thing to do leave you with a smile there today's broken news uh update uh, this report on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service more or less of hencock county veteran services we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming 
Want to stay up to date with the latest news in Findlay and Hancock County? What about important community events? Don't be the last person to know about breaking information. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek. Like the WFIN Facebook page, and while you're there, make sure to check out all the videos, pictures, and news. You'll get instant notification whenever we're on the scene of breaking news. Stay on top of all the important information you and your family need to know with the WFIN Facebook page and WFIN.com. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. If you slept poorly last night, a new survey shows you are not alone. This poll of 2,000 Americans, now it's a non-scientific poll, but it is a pretty large sample. 2,000 Americans poll commissioned by Mattress Firm reveals that Americans sleep poorly on average of three nights a week. And what's more, two of the three, uh, two out of three working Americans log less than the recommended seven to nine hours of sleep every night. That is not a surprise. What is interesting is that 69% blame a stressful workday for their sleepless nights. According to the poll, 21% of respondents said Friday night is the best night of the week to get a good night's sleep, followed by Saturday at 18%. So those are the best nights to get a good night's sleep. The flip side of that, 18% agree that Sunday and Monday nights are the worst to try and get shut-eye. More than a quarter of those polled say it takes them until Wednesday to get out of weekend mode when it comes to buckling down at work. And here's where the numbers take an interesting twist. For those working from home, things look a little bit brighter. 80% of those folks say that they have taken a nap during their work day, which may not thrill the boss, But keep this in mind, 57% of those sneaky snoozers say that it has positively impacted their work performance. And overall, 64% say working remotely has boosted their work performance. 74% of those who now work from home say it has also improved their sleep quality. So, some benefits all the way around, it would appear. And lastly, on the podcast this morning, our Throwback Thursday segment today, this is an eye-opener. According to the Department of Education, more than 1.3 million public school students have been identified as homeless. And if the clinical definition of a learning disability is a condition that is beyond a child's control, which negatively affects their ability to learn on pace with their peers, this certainly meets that criteria. After all, how can we expect these kids to complete their homework when they have nowhere to call home? For a back-to-school season in 2016, we spoke with Aaron Ingram, a policy advisor for Civic Enterprises, a social enterprise firm that works to develop initiatives and public policies in the fields of education, civic engagement, public health, and more, about their report, which she co-authored, Hidden in Plain Sight, Homeless Students in America's Public Schools. From September of 2016, it is today's Throwback Thursday. So the 1.3 million is data from, as you said, the Department of Education, and that includes students who are homeless alone by themselves, so young people, normally teenagers, who might be living on the streets or in shelters on their own, but the vast majority of those homeless students are actually young people who are homeless alongside their families, and that can include some very young children too, preschool and kindergartners, all the way up through high school. 
who are homeless alongside of their parents and, and siblings. To me, one of the stats that, that stood out was the fact that many of these uh, homeless students, this is not a unique experience for them. Yeah, absolutely. So for this report, we, uh, we interviewed and surveyed young people who are currently in school and homeless now, and then also young people who were homeless at some point during their middle and high school years to try to get both of those perspectives. And what those young people told us is, as you say, this wasn't something that happened once. About 80% of them said that they were homeless more than once. So this is a cyclical and recurring problem for so many of these children. And when we talk about the homelessness problem uh, in this country, whether it's in our own community or nationwide, that's a pretty broad brush when you talk about uh, homelessness in general, because it can include those that we typically think about uh, as homeless with no place to go and others who are couch surfing going from one home to the next, but you specifically find that quite a few of these are, in fact, children who are part of family units or, as you say, on their own, who, in fact, do have no place to stay. Yeah, we asked young people about, you know, the types of places that they might have been they might have been staying, and they said, you know, as you said, some of them said, we, you know, I'm couch surfing, bouncing between houses. Mm-hmm. Others told us that they were sleeping on park benches. Some of them said they were staying in bus stations or in shelters. Um, a lot of them said in motels or in cars with their families. So homelessness is not a is not a homogenous experience. It's going to look really different for every child, and that's part of the reason that it can be so difficult for schools to identify young people who might be experiencing homelessness because it doesn't look the same for everyone. Here's the thing that that strikes me about this issue, because as we watch our kids interact with their classmates, whether it's at a school function or an after-school activity or whatever it might happen to be. As we watch our kids interact with classmates, you look around and you think, this could be any one of them, and we would never know it. And more importantly, the schools don't always know who those homeless students are. Yeah, absolutely. And well, and students themselves told us, too, that this is not something that they were comfortable talking about. They told us, you know, the vast majority of students said that they would prefer not to tell anyone because they're afraid of being bullied or made fun of by their peers. Um, a lot of them are afraid that if they tell anyone that they might be removed from their families and parents are feeling the same way. They're afraid if they do report that they are experiencing homelessness, that maybe you know, CPS will step in and take their children. Um, and so that can be a really difficult conversation to have, too, because, you know, if the students don't want to be identified, that makes it even a little bit more difficult. We have talked uh, about within the uh, city school system their uh, trauma-informed care uh, program. And I know this is a uh, a movement that a number of school districts across the country are, are working toward better identifying students who have risk factors that could affect their uh, academic life and just their life in general beyond the classroom. Is enough uh, attention being paid to this issue specifically uh, within the context of all of the other issues that so many students are facing today outside of the classroom? Yeah, in general, I would say that this is a problem that gets very little attention and deserves a lot more. And so I think you know, trauma-informed care is something that we recommend, again, for schools to think about for homeless students as well, mm-hmm. uh, because what they're experiencing outside of school might uh, might look the, the same as for a student experiencing other, other kinds of traumatic experiences. And um, students told us things like, you know, I would come to class and I would be too tired to participate because I've been up since 4 in the morning just trying to get to school. I didn't sleep well the night before because I was somewhere I didn't feel safe. 
And so I would go into class and I would sit at the back and I wouldn't have my things and I would fall asleep. And, you know, teachers interpret that as disinterest and disengagement. Yeah. And in fact, that student is just struggling just to be there. I can't even imagine how difficult that might be to be dealing with all of those issues of homelessness and then trying to get an education as well. And that really is the, the key here is that we are at risk of losing a generation of kids who just cannot when you look at the all of the the scale of everything that they have to deal with education then no longer becomes the top priority it's just survival absolutely i mean in the hierarchy of needs education would drop fairly low if you're struggling just to eat to be safe um and you can definitely see so only five states right now report high school graduation rates for homeless students but in those five states the rates are some of the lowest out of any of the groups of students so we know that being homeless really makes it hard for these kids to stay in school and to do well in school understandably uh, but so they, but they also told us that they see education as a way to stabilize their lives and to go on to be able to be adults to whom this won't happen they see this as a pathway out that's interesting so they do recognize the value of education uh, but I, I would imagine still it's very difficult to prioritize your algebra homework when you're worried about where you're going to sleep uh, tonight or or where your next meal is coming from. And, and again, from the report, it seems to indicate that this is uh, a, a, an issue that is on the rise. Right. Since 2006, the number of students identified as homeless in public schools has doubled. Um, so in part, that could be because schools are getting better at counting these students and mm-hmm. seeing which ones are actually homeless. But we also do think that it's in part due to um, the economic dysfunction that happened with the Great Recession. And we had so many families who were destabilized and lost their housing and just haven't recovered. And so we're continuing to see rates of students continue to rise. Again, from September of 2016, today's Throwback Thursday with Aaron Ingram, policy advisor for Civic Enterprises and co-author of the report, Hidden in Plain Sight, Homeless Students in America's Public Schools. We have a link to that report on our webpage at goodmornings.net. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, and that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Tomorrow on the program, former Super Bowl champion and current NFL analyst Mark Schlereth will give his take on the season ahead after the first week of games. Should the Browns be worried about how they blew a big lead in their opener? So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here again tomorrow.